the social justice movement is not fundamentally about social justice. It's fundamentally about the establishment of uh, socialism and, and, and or cultural Marxism, mm-hmm. to be more precise. Mm-hmm. That is the history of this. And that's what it's fundamentally about. Now, of course, with that um, left-wing socialism comes a particular economic uh, attitude and view towards what we're doing as a state and what we're doing as a community. And so that's obviously going to be a, a an economics discussion, and there's much that's been written on this, the discussion between kind of your socialist economic theory versus your free market um, economic theories as well. Mm. But you might ask yourself, what on earth does it have to do with the local family? Well, the answer to that question really can be answered first by looking at um, the strategy of the cultural Marxists and, and, and why it is that they would um, target the family. And once you, once you understand the history of this, it becomes fairly clear and self-evident what, what the game is all about. Welcome to the Bible Professor podcast show. Here is your host, the Reverend Dr. Mal Winstead. Well, it's good to be with you, uh, Dr. Winstead. It's a privilege to uh, catch up with you, even if it is over these digital waves. Yes, sir. Same here. So, uh, Simon, uh, we're going to jump right in. First of all, I want you to tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself, your family, where you live, and then we'll begin to uh, ascend into what you are doing and what the church is doing, what you're doing for the church there in South Africa. Okay, well, we are living in the city of uh, Potchefstroom, which is pretty much in the middle of South Africa, about two hours south of Johannesburg, which is the main city. Um, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, but I'm married uh, now. Uh, she is uh, South African, and I grew up for a large portion of my life here in South Africa. And became a Christian when I was at school, uh, and but then became the prodigal son as well. And then the Lord, through His grace and mercy, uh, grabbed me and pulled me backwards through the hedge. I came back to the church and had the privilege of uh, spending a number of years in in, a, in the U.S., uh, going to study um, uh, at the seminary in the U.S. at the Southern Evangelical Seminary because so we had a passion for evangelism. And um, after our education and training there in the U.S., uh, my wife and I felt called to come back to South Africa to serve the churches in Africa with the training we've been blessed with in the United States. And uh, we were involved in helping to start a ministry in the U.S. called Ratio Christi, which is a campus ministry. And we now serve with the Russia Christie South Africa team here in Potsdam. The main university in the city is Northwest University, which is one of the major universities in South Africa. And so we work amongst the students um, doing campus ministry work, but are also very much involved in the local church. Okay. Uh, interesting. Thank you. So a couple of, t- a couple of things. Um, so first of all, uh, Simon, I don't know if I ever made this clear for you or you remember this, but I'm actually teaching at Southern Evangelical Seminary for these last 11 years because of you. I met you at an apologetics conference you were doing at a church uh, north of Charlotte uh, uh, one time. So, uh, yeah, and it was all downhill from there, as they say. Pretty cool. And so, yes, yes. God's providence, uh, for sure. So, Back up a second now. You said, so you and your wife were actually, you helped found Ratio Christi. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Yeah, we were um, uh, when I, when we were both studying at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, both my wife and myself, um, we were kind of doing small outreach events from Charlotte, North Carolina, kind of youth events at local churches and that kind of stuff. And then the seminary um, approached uh, myself to see if we would start a missions department at the seminary, which we started. That was called uh, Team, um, and we started a, a, a little missions program at the seminary. And it, it ran for a few years whilst I was there. And so I worked part-time at the seminary, I studied, and then ran the um, missions department. And we were able then to grow that missions department and do work all over the U.S. and sent uh, a number of teams all over the world. And so that's how I kind of got started at SES. And it was through those outreaches that we met and we had our first chat and introduction and you ended up at uh, the seminary. That's how things rolled out. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, one more thing to connect. Well, I have a couple more connection with South Africa, so to speak, and we'll get on with what you're doing. So at you're at Northwestern University, your club, the, the Christian club, right? That's correct. So no, North Northwest University. Yeah. yeah. So there's a I don't know if he's still there, but there was a, a, a scholar, a New Testament scholar in the religions department named uh, Philip Dutois. I don't know if he's still yes. there, if you've had connection with him, but uh, he actually uh, submitted an essay for me in a fest shrift I did for David Black uh, several years ago. So that was pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Dutois is last yeah. 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 There's actually a very good theological department at this university. Okay. Um, which is a strong, uh, strong uh, uh, heritage in ancient languages. Uh, and a long tradition here. They're they're one of the um, early theological um, programs, faculties in the country, really um, built or tied to the Reformed churches, um, the Dutch Reformed churches here in South Africa, and still doing outstanding work. It's tough now because the university originally was founded as a Christian university, and then, like a lot of universities in the past, um, got involved with taxpaying money and government and Unfortunately, like the history of many Christian universities, uh, is now basically secular and run by government officials and no longer has its Christian heritage anymore. And so like a lot of the universities in the United States, it were all started by Christians. Unfortunately, they're anything but Christian now. And unfortunately, that's, that's certainly true here as well. So we wait to see what the future holds for the theological faculty there. Well, you know, the Christian schools... Uh, seminaries, colleges, grad schools around the world evidently have not learned the lesson that's like 1,700 <laughs> years old now from the time of Constantine. Once the governing, governing bodies, once you take anything from them, they're going to expect something from you. You know, they're going to dictate uh, or influence, you know, your policies and even your teaching and so forth. It's just the way it goes. Yes, unfortunately, it's a lesson which um, which we've taken a long time to learn uh, as the church, and um, and I think part of it is it becomes always very attractive when the government officials show up there with all their <laughs> programs and funding to build more and and to bigger everything and make everything better, bigger and better. But then it comes with a with a with a, a, a price tag attached, and and unfortunately, uh, the history of this affair is not a is not a it's not a good one. I think there's a book in America which which um written um called The Dying of the Light. 
um, which talks about the loss of the universities in America. I have it on my shelf there. I've kind of thumbed my way through a few pages, and it is, it's a tragic story to think of what mm. happened to the universities which the church started, not just in America, in most nations. Um, a lot of the universities were started by Christians, and the same is true of South Africa. Okay, uh, we're talking to Simon Brace on this episode. He uh, lives in South Africa and uh, runs Ratio Christi uh, Club uh, at the university there. Uh, Simon, tell us uh, two things now. What else are you doing ministry-wise? And obviously the big thing I want you to hit today is, um, you know, what is the big problem or problems the church is facing in South Africa? Okay, so uh, in addition to our campus ministry work that we're doing here, um, and as a result of, I think, uh, contemporary developments, the last few years, kind of COVID years, and just prior to that, we kind of had a shift um, in terms of our emphasis, um, and we can talk a bit about that. I think that will be interesting for folks to listen to. Um, but we're doing a lot of work in local churches now, and we're having a um, – a specific interest on trying to strengthen families. And that's really become an important part of what we're doing. And so as an apologist, we're kind of developing family apologetics as a a central part of our our move. So that's what the Lord has done amongst us the last few years. And then in terms of the second question, just what is the second question there? What is the... Uh, the the big the issues question? the church is facing that you're having to deal oh, with. Oh yeah, uh, there, yeah. Okay, the big issues. How the, could I the main thing well, I knew you, I knew you wanted to get into anyway. So. Oh yeah, yeah. The main <laughs> thing. Okay, so well, let us start. Yeah, it's important um, for for folks who who might be in other countries and even in the U.S. to understand and to know that um, uh, it's not true that here in Africa. Um, We've got special things going on and, you know, people who came in from overseas wouldn't really know how to communicate to us Africans. That's just a myth in the missions field. Um, if you are to look at the, the, the landscape in South Africa, what's going on in the local churches, whether it's uh, affluent churches right down to churches in, um, in, in the poorer uh, areas of, of our communities, I would submit to you that the vast majority of issues that we're dealing with here in our nation are exactly the same, precisely the same as the issues that are confronting a lot of other communities in the world elsewhere. And the fundamental problem we're dealing with in in, um, South Africa, politically, economically, socially, family-wise, with respect to questions of, of sex and sexuality, is we're fighting the social justice movement. That is the fundamental battle in our country on all levels. Um, wow. And I could, you could, we, could, we could expand that out over there. So yeah. a lot of people might think, well, in Africa, we're dealing with all of these other African-specific issues. That's, that's not true. It's just simply not true. You can find in our country specific areas where you would need to have specific training and expertise. For example, if you're dealing with, um, for example, some of the African-initiated churches like the ZCC, the Zionist movement in South Africa, well, then you would require some special training and preparation. If you were going to be dealing with um, some of the traditional African religion and animus as animistic beliefs, then sure, there is stuff local to South Africa. 
But overall, um, the vast majority of issues that we are dealing with in South African culture are the same issues that I think communities are facing in many countries all over the world, which is uh, the social justice movement's demands <clears throat> in terms of a new vision of ethics for everybody um, at a political level, uh, in the corporate world, on the sports field, in the media, and even in the churches. It's the so, same battle that you guys okay. are fighting in the U.S. Well, this is interesting because you listed off well, it's, it's just interesting in general, but specifically, you listed off things that social justice movement is negatively affecting in South Africa. And you listed, I'm quite sure, economics and family. Those were two things that stood out to me in your list of four or five things. So, Simon, how do you see the social justice movement negatively affecting economics and the family? I, I'd like to hear a little a bit of that parsed out. Okay, so, and for those, I mean, there's there's many people who are doing some really good work on helping us to understand exactly what the social justice movement is. But once you do a bit of homework, you soon realize the social justice movement is not fundamentally about social justice. It's fundamentally about the establishment of uh, socialism and, and, and or cultural Marxism, <laughs> to be more precise. Mm -hmm. That is the history of this thing. And that's what it's fundamentally about. Now, of course, with that um, left-wing socialism comes a particular economic uh, attitude and view towards what we're doing as a state and what we're doing as a community. And so that's obviously going to be a, a, an economics discussion, and there's much that's been written on this, the discussion between kind of your socialist economic theory versus your free market um, economic theories as well. But you might ask yourself, what on earth does it have to do with the local family? Well, the answer to that question really can be answered first by looking at um, the strategy of the cultural Marxists and, and, and why it is that they would um, target the family. And once you, once you understand the history of this, it becomes fairly clear and self-evident what, what the game is all about. As I understand um, the cultural Marxists and people like Antonio Gramsci and others following Gramsci, the, the Frankfurt School, they sought to, first of all, uh, have a cultural revolution before you get a political revolution. But to get a cultural revolution, you have to go upstream to the institutions that shape culture. And mm -hmm. for Gramsci and the other Marxists in Europe, those key institutions was the university, the church, and the family. Those are the three institutions that are fundamental to society because that, that's where all the ideas come from. The other institutions in society just get their ideas from those three institutions. That's why they're primary. And so they're very specific in targeting those three institutions. So you've got to undermine the church. You do that through um, a false gospel. You, you basically liberation theology or liberal theology. So that's how you, you do that. You, you strip out and the supernatural power of our Lord and, and all of the classic uh, orthodox doctrines and explain it all away through liberalism, liberal theology. In the university, you just become professors and then you basically um, kick out everybody else who disagrees with you and appoint everybody else who's basically a Marxist and in mm -hmm. line with your socialism. And in the church, what you've got to do, that's a more difficult institution, is you've got to undermine the family. And how you do that is you... You change the concepts about family. You change what a man is, what the definition of a man or a woman is. You uh -huh. redefine what family is. 
you take traditional views of sexuality and you just pervert them. Uh, and this has been the project of the social justice movement. Um, and so that's why you, you, you want to go after the family um, because in the family, I teach or all Christians, we teach our kids certain principles, principles of ethics and principles of economics, uh, basic ideas. What is a boy? What is a girl? Affirming a binary consistent with what we find in Genesis, consistent with what we find in nature. So they want to smash yeah. that up. They want to destroy that. And we also teach our kids principles of ethics in terms of work ethic. You, you know, you should work. You shouldn't be lazy. You should be dependent upon no one. You should be able to provide for yourself. These are Christian ethics. And these ultimately, when you examine them closer, are at odds with a socialist view of economics. And so everything that we teach in, in our, in our um, families or Christian families is fundamentally at odds with much of what the social justice, justice movement or the cultural Marxists are going after. And that's why they've sought to abolish the family. That's what the whole BLM against the nuclear family is fundamentally all about. Right, of course, right. BLM as an organization never laid this out, but if once you dig and you scratch through the, 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 the window dressing at bottom, that's what you find is there. And, and we are in exactly the same battle here in South Africa. The family is in trouble in South Africa. Seven out of every 10 kids comes from a fatherless home. Mm. And with that, we have all of the same social problems, all kinds of social problems. Yeah, that's uh. Wow. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, people need to need to hear hear what the church is dealing with there, and maybe it'll encourage the churches in other countries, Christians, that hey, they're not alone in this struggle. Because I'm afraid this this is the fight. This is where the battle is a spiritual battle, right? Second Corinthians ten. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful, not not physical. It's a spiritual battle, and um, so hopefully what you're sharing here here will uh, encourage others, Simon. We're joined today by Simon Brace from South Africa, talking about what the church is dealing with uh, there, and this is, this is not something I've heard much, if at all, yet, Simon, what you're talking about, the family, the going after the family. I mean, yeah. A lot of us understood a little bit of that like three years ago when the BLM, you know, you found all this writing on their website, all this documentation, then they took it off and blah, blah, blah. That was kind of a blip on the radar. But now, evidently, you're seeing there in South Africa that the family is now the target uh, in a big way and needs to be defended. So you've you've uh, stepped in to help defend that, it sounds like. Absolutely. I mean, I was speaking to some students on Saturday night. Their professor here at Northwest University, she's an openly uh, lesbian, and she is says it as says it in as many words that this, she thinks that the uh, the old view of family is not only a problem that it's an institution of of abuse. I mean, this is consistent with um, social justice scholars like Sophie Lewis, who, who wrote a book on on the abolition of family. They see the traditional Christian family as an engine room for the reinforcement of the capitalist systems, you know? Mm. And so they have to tear it down. 
And so this is what's scary is the when I do these lectures at churches in South Africa, and, I, and whether I'm doing them in, in, like I said to you, whether it's in, in, in the poorer communities or the more, the more affluent communities, we're facing the same problems. The, 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 the fatherlessness is not just some accident. Look, it certainly hasn't helped when we as Christians have not lived up to our calling right. and, and, and being obedient to Christ in loving our wives. At first, for the, for the men, I can speak to that. But uh, this, this catastrophe in which we find ourselves, not just in South Africa, in many nations, the fatherlessness, the brokenness in the family has been engineered and, 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 and uh, thought about and nurtured as a philosophy uh, in our universities. And now it has been seeded out into all of the culture and we are reaping its uh, unpleasant rewards. And it's, this is the main fight in South Africa. This is the main issue. And we also are dealing with all of the, uh, coming with this, all of the same arguments and fight, transgenderism. We just had, I think, the first girl in South Africa uh, was the first girl to go and have top surgery, a double mastectomy on the basis of ideology, not on the basis of some kind of medical condition. Um, we've got schools now involved in this debate. We've got a new education uh, program called Comprehensive Sexuality Education. This document, which is now being uh, pushed out in public schools, was drafted by UNESCO and funded by USAID. And I can rest assure you that that new education uh, document does not affirm the um, traditional views and values of, of, of Africans. Um, we are getting the same thing over here. The same scholars are appealed to. In fact, there was a lectures, a couple of lectures here ago on campus in Gender Awareness Weeks. Our students are also reading Judith Butler and Gail Rubin and Kimberly Crenshaw and all these social justice scholars, and it's just a copy and paste. In some sense, it's actually quite interesting because the fight's quite predictable. You can kind of watch what's going on in Europe and Canada and America, and as you see things unfold there, you can almost predict whether within a few months exactly the same issue will unfold in our country at some place. Some poor wedding venue person is going to be dragged in front of court. Uh, mm -hmm. Some issue is going to crop up in some business. But it's always the same arguments being made, the same philosophy, and, and the same issues. I'll give you an example. There's a big debate going on now to, uh, to, to, uh, to oppose any kind of conversion therapy, okay? Um, and you probably heard about this as well now. So if anybody's struggling with their gender identity and you try and move them back to their, 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 their uh, God-given nature, then you're doing violence to them. And so we need to prevent people from doing that, okay? And of course, we see these laws and conversion therapy being passed in places like Canada and Australia. Well, just recently, we had here in South Africa, the first bill being pushed through our government to go and go after conversion therapy. So any Christian counselors or even uh, perhaps maybe even Christians praying for somebody who might be struggling with their sexuality, if maybe they reflect back on that experience and kind of didn't like it or didn't feel comfortable, could go and say, well, these people are guilty of some kind of abuse against me. Yeah. And we are fighting exactly the same battle. This is this is and and, and uh, folks like us, us Bible believing Christians that see more clearly than the watching world, can see the double standard of someone like the the speaker you said who 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 talked about, 
you know, continuing or perpetuating family that perpetuates abuse, but it's not abuse to encourage a young girl to have a double mastectomy because of this left leftist ideology. That's the abuse. Kind of absurd. This is the kind of absurd world we're living in now where um, um, the things that are going on are literally, they're literally unbelievable. You, You have to, I said to some people sometimes when I give these lectures, you can hardly believe that I'm having to say this because it's it's literally you. Right. It's hard to believe that this is actually what's been taught at our universities. It's wow that that common common sense is tyrannous. You know, you, you have and and, you, and and what's so fascinating about it is this is this is maybe the thing that might save Africa. And and I want maybe reflect a bit upon this as a missionary. Africa has many problems and many issues. Um, they're countless. Um, but the one good thing that Africa does have going for it now is that, by and large, the church in Africa is fairly conservative. And what I mean by that is because I don't really want to use that term because it's not, it's not really that, – that, that might carry with it some political overtones. Sure. It's, it's orthodox. We, we believe yeah. that Jesus is Messiah, that he saves, that the, there's a thing called the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the doctrine of original sin is true, that, that we're in need of God's grace – and all those classic doctrines, and this has been taught in the church from when the North, North African churches first discussed the the, 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 the the central doctrines of the deity of Christ and, and the Trinity and all of those, those foundational doctrines of the faith. And so the church in Africa is making a good stand on these issues. Um, and so we are in a position where a lot of African people – who are Christians, but even a lot of Africans who are not Christians, they still uh, hold to fairly traditional views of family and sex and sexuality, okay? And so um, you are seeing pushback here in Africa against the stuff, but there's a tremendous battle for the heart of Africa now with a lot of uh, external pressure being put on Africa as a continent because we maintain those traditional values to a large extent. And you see this coming in from overseas. And the battle is particularly acute in South Africa because we have the, the most number of highest ranked universities on the continent. And so the universities are really at the heart of a lot of these problems. And I would argue that's true of any of our nations in in America and Canada. It's the university that's the problem because most of your politicians and your leaders, they got those ideas from the university. And so we're in the same position here. And so you're finding that it's through the universities where a lot of this pressure is coming on um, to drive this new ethic. And South Africa has become a beachhead for this little project, um, global project. Um, And there is pushback. But we've got a lot of work to do to fight back against this. And the difficulty as well is we are also in a place where there's a tremendous economic disparity. So just to complicate the issue even more, because of this economic disparity, like ourselves in Brazil, it's always easy for your old school Marxists to show up, you know. Mm-hmm. And we also have that here in South African <laughs> politics. So we have not only do we have this kind of this kind of shape-shifting Marxist, that's what I would call the um, the social justice movement, the culture Marxism, but some of our political parties are kind of old-school Marxism. So political parties, for example, like the EFF, 
And they're very forthright, man. They just want old school Bolshevik style revolution. They want to burn the place to the ground, and they want to. They want. They, they are, are 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 aggressive. Their leader was recently in court, and it was shocking to hear the things that he was saying. Now, it's unsurprising because they read Marxists. Um, the, the, they they are inspired by the works of Franz Fanon, um, and he was a Marxist as well. Um, and he called for violence and bloodshed um, mm-hmm. in an old school revolutionary style way. And so we have this kind of fusion of old school Marxism mm. uh, at the highest political levels in South Africa, plus this new kind of cultural Marxism as well. These two things are the main things dominating the landscape in South Africa from politics through Africa, through the through the economics and right down into the communities and the families. And that's the main fight in South Africa. That's the main battle in our country. Okay. We're joined by Simon Brace today from South Africa, uh, telling us, informing us of uh, what the church is facing in South Africa. And I I appreciate that clarity just now because I was about to turn a corner and say, let's talk about the church. But you just did that. Um, It sounded like you said, you know, the church holds the keys so that, to speak, to to preserve. I mean, and that's always been the case. Christians are supposed to be salt and light to preserve the culture from absolute ruin as we head, uh, you know, very fast down the hill. But uh, listen, it sounds like, let me ask you this specifically, though. um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said something to the effect that if we are not preaching the gospel for our time and culture to where it addresses the problems in our time and culture, then we're not preaching the gospel. I think he was probably right about that. In other words, the gospel of Christ is relevant to this entire situation. And therefore, the church, the brokers of the gospel of Christ, must be at the forefront of of, uh of uh, this defense and the offense as well, pushing this agenda of um, fighting back against this this uh, social justice movement, which the iterations we all know about currently are anti-biblical. No, I agree with you. I think that um, the church's job is it doesn't change. I have taken um, tremendous inspiration from reading the works of Richard Wormbrandt, uh, his great book, Tortured for Christ, which I don't know yes, if you've read. Absolutely. Just, yes, I have. I encourage you. I, I, you know, I better understand the book now than when I first read it. I read it a second time because now I better understand the context. He was in Romania when they were taken over by communists, and I didn't really understand what it was like. I, I don't think I understand it now, and, and, and I certainly wouldn't want to wish that kind of a, a scenario upon any any person or any Christian for that matter. But I tell you what, it's been striking for me to read some of this other literature, stuff like um, Solskjaer Netson's work on the Gulag Archipelago and and just the testimony of Christian brothers and sisters who, who lived through these battles in Eastern European countries. And to see how they stood up and fought this, um, Rod Dreher's recent book um, that he p- wrote called Live Not By Lies. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but I really commend everybody to have a look mm-hmm. at it. The first half of the book is kind of a diagnosis of where we are. The second half of the book chronicles 
the lives and testimonies of believers, Lutherans, Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox Christians, and even some non-Christians who kind of stood up against this kind of totalitarianism that was going on. And I think that we as Christians um, do have to preach the gospel um, in our times and, and, and preach it in such a way that it engages the issues of our day, right, whatever right. they might be. Um, and we have to do that. We, we have to let people know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only sufficient to save all men, but that what Christianity as a worldview offers can speak to every single one of these issues, uh, uh, the politics, the economics, all of these issues, uh, uh, art and beauty. We, we, we have something to say that's meaningful and powerful to that's persuasive right. and persuasive to people. So, you know, this it's, it's, it's in some senses, it makes it so frustrating to me is when you think of all of the resources and the tremendous wealth that the, that the church has in this history we have and, and, mm-hmm. the, and the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel, how we as Christians sometimes don't avail ourselves of it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I feel like we, we're a guy who, 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 who's got this massive workshop with all these wonderful tools and instruments in it, but yet he just wants to use a hammer to, to, to deal with everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and whilst yeah. the hammer is useful, we should avail ourselves of all these other tools, you know? Yeah, there are more efficient tools to get certain jobs done. And, uh, part, exactly. and parcel of, part and parcel of this as well, Simon, and I, I know you know that because you lived here in the States for years, but um, I can't speak to South Africa. I suspect it's about the same. But here in the States, the church, the churches, instead of doing doing this Martin Luther approach, let's preach the gospel and demonstrate how it is relevant to current issues too many churches are still and Christians are still fighting battles from 30 and 40 years ago. That's not helping anyone today. You know, I I guess I I just wish we could all get on the same page to address the common enemy right now. It's just a thought. Yeah. (laughs) No. And we, we, we have those problems here as well. We, we too here now in, in, in our communities, Sometimes have churches kind of battling against each other. You know, you've got your um, more conservative uh, churches, uh, you know, who want to be a lot tighter and and more clearer on doctrine. And, of course, that's a good thing. I'm not against that. And then you've got your charismatics and Pentecostal tradition and wants to put an emphasis on on, on connecting with people and and being sensitive to that and – uh, and 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 so sometimes, unfortunately, in the midst of this battle, we end up uh, turning on each other. Now, mm-hmm. this is what I'm learning as we serve here: is to try, as we disciple and mentor young people, to make a distinction between the essentials of the faith and the non-essentials, not yeah. the, and to make these distinctions, and to not also say that these things aren't important. There are secondary issues which are very important to the discussion over whether you are credo Baptist or Pedo Baptist, whether you are Reformed or you're more Arminian, or whether you are whatever your eschatology is, dispensational, uh, uh, millennial, whatever those things are. There are those internal debates which are important and we need to have them. Um, but sometimes we get consumed with those issues. And whilst we're doing this, um, the, the, the house has been burnt to the ground around us. Right. And so right. sometimes 
it's exasperating because I have to say to a lot of them, look, whilst I appreciate this conversation, I do feel that we need to be paying a lot more attention to this, this monster that is just swallowing up this tsunami that is just eating up everything. And, and I think that maybe, I don't know, maybe the Lord is, 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 um, is pushing us as the church to, 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 to wake up because we need to wake up on this front and, yeah. and uh, we need to get our act together. So, uh, and we so, need uh, to remember. Go ahead. Go ahead. Carry on. No, I so said we need to remember that, that we need to love one another as Christians, which sometimes inclu- includes having a disagreement with somebody, even if it's a strong one, and still love them as a brother. And then say to the, you say to the brother with whom you've disagreed, oh, by the way, let's go to the unbeliever now and let's preach the gospel to them or let's stand up against this yeah. injustice or whatever the case is, you know? So I liken it to the old saying about uh, Nero uh, fiddled while Rome burned. I feel like, and here's yes. some specifics, I feel like the American church has been fiddling with the color of the carpet. What day of the month you're going to have the chili cook-off? Silly, absolutely superficial, nonsensical stuff they're fiddling with while the culture around them burns. You know, why do we yes. do that? Yes, we need We need to be focused on we need to get our priorities straight, I guess is it's just a simple way to say it, you know, and focus on uh, yes. a concerted front against these cultural issues uh, you've been talking about. So, yes. And that's, if we, if you, if we wanted to take that observation, and I think that analogy is a good one. That's what I've, if, if, if you were to ask me, so then, so then what would we do then? I'd say to him, well, look, what I'm learning from all of this then now is whatever discipling I'm doing with people or church teaching and training, I'm always trying to make sure that that's what the focus and the emphasis is. I, I, I appreciate the debates, internal debates in the church, but I'm working with charismatic Pentecostals, Baptists, yeah. Methodists, um, uh, different reformed. We have a whole different, different varieties mm. of reformed churches here. And I'm learning that that's all we have to call them together and say, look, I appreciate this debate and there's an occasion for it to be had, but we are going to have to um, uh, get our heads out of the sand and turn around and face this monster because this thing is going to, it's yes. eating up everything else. And um, and so that's what we are, that's in some sense what our shift has been, Mel. If, if you were to ask me what was the main shift in, in the last few years that the Lord has done with our organization. And that is that we realized if we as Rasha Christie as a campus organization and ministry did effective work at the campus, well then praise be to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. But if we, if we do a good job of ministering to people on campus, but the church every day is getting weaker and weaker and the family is more destroyed and more destroyed, then what, where do we send these young people? And so right. God really put it, put it on the hearts of all of our team to say, look, we have to chew gum and walk at the same time. We have to be intentional in encouraging the local church and we have to be really, really serious about helping the family because the family is the first institution from God and it's sacred to him. 
right down to what a man and a woman is. And so this has been our shift is to say we need to uh, broaden our vision. We need to realize that if we help families uh, and help moms and dads with their kids, then when those kids go up and they move towards university, we can prepare them beforehand rather than just catch them in the moment of crisis on campus, you know. And that's what the Lord has really been pushing us to do is to just broaden our vision. I would say we, we like we like those race horses for the longest time. We've had those blinkers on, you know? Yeah. And we've only kind of been yeah, and I think we've needed God to open those blinkers up and and really mm-hmm. be in more intentional in, in in going a bit broader in our in our efforts. So uh share with me if you have another couple of minutes. Do you have time? Yeah, I have I have time. Yeah, in Africa there is no such thing as time. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's why it took me so long to get you uh, uh, nailed down to get on here. But anyway, uh, I appreciate you. Uh, we're talking with Simon Brace from South Africa. Talk a little bit more more about this family ministry because I'm interested. You 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 have found a um, you have found a problem area, and you're headed straight after it, and that is the family. So, what does that look like for Ratio Christie or Christian parents that you know or your local church, what does that look like as far as how are you helping families? Is it getting them together to be sure you're teaching them a particular issue? Is it curriculum? Is it just time you spend? What does it look like specifically? Okay, so so this is how it's kind of unfolded for us. As as we were doing our apologetics um, work in the universities um, and doing – what I now call old school apologetics, which is the kind of stuff that you and I love, the archaeology and the Bible, the reliability mm-hmm. of the Bible, questions of canon, mm-hmm. canonicity, arguments for the existence of God. We, we still do that. But we realized that we had an audience, but it was very, a very narrow audience. Uh-huh. A lot of people aren't inclined to do that now, in part because their lives are so crazy mm-hmm. and their lives are so messed up. When we began to then finally having to realize we couldn't now, now we have to address this social justice thing. And I started studying and preparing for this. And I realized that the social justice movement as its strategy and in its, in its literature targets the family specifically mm-hmm. and, and goes after these things like sex and sexuality. The moment we shifted that apologetic and we started speaking to parents then all of a sudden we had the attention of people who would never mm. have shown up in an apologetic event because okay. a lot of parents and, and young people, they might not be interested in the Kalam uh, cosmological argument for the existence <laughs> of God. Right. And they aren't interested in that. As much as it breaks my heart, we have to be patient to get them there. But right. this fight we're in, this spiritual war is now in people's front it's in their lounge and it's to do with their kids and Mm -hmm. it's to do with their relationship and it's a challenge against your common sense the moment we started speaking to people on these apologetics issues because there are apologetic issues they're just of a different nature all of a sudden people saying okay we want to hear you again on those things and in some sense what we realize is we're helping people to unmask to some extent the fight that we're in i i there's a quote in one of Douglas Murray's uh, book. Uh, Douglas Murray's a British journalist. He's a, he's, um, he's a secularist, but his his works on contemporary affairs in Europe are very good. Uh, he wrote a book called um, 
the strange death of Europe and the madness of crowds. I commend them to you are very good. But he says, you know, you see the symptoms everywhere, but you don't know what the causes are. Okay. Cause everybody's bumping into the stuff, but we don't know what the causes are. When you show a parents what the causes are for all this madness that we're living in, it wakes them up. And we found that this has been how God has opened us up and stretched <laughs> us. Now, bearing in mind, we were a bit slow because if I look back on as we are with most of the time in my relationship with the Lord, God was making this clear enough to me a few years ago. I just wasn't paying attention. And anyway, um, God brought us around and we have noticed a response from the churches and from parents that we've never experienced in our ministry before. And so that's what we lead with now. We come in. We tell parents, we are concerned about you. We're, we're concerned about your marriage, about um, how important and sacred this is to God. And because we're concerned about your marriage, we are particularly concerned about your kids. And we mean what we say, and we're coming to you with the good news of Jesus and all that the Christian worldview can bring to bear on this. And we're going to show you the madness you're living in. And man, it just, it just grips people. Yeah, And it's true. Oh, yeah. It's true. And so when you connect those dots for people, <clears throat> then they respond positively. And that's really what we've been going through the last uh, couple of years. Okay. Wonderful, Simon. Um, so, and, and also you <clears throat> mentioned the fact that um, uh, th these issues are still apologetic, but they go by a different name. Well, absolutely. And in, in this, I'm going in a little bit different direction here. These are moral issues, and too many Christians I know here in the States refuse to get into a discussion on these things because they say their, their wimping out excuse is, that's politics. It's not politics if it deals with moral, ethical issues. Those are biblical, moral issues that God gives a mandate on black and white one way or another. They're not politics. Firstly, primarily they're moral issues. The politicians have made them political issues, but that's secondary. They're moral issues. And therefore the church has a right and a responsibility to speak to these issues. That's correct. And you know what really, and, and I would encourage you when you get a chance um, uh, to look at this material, but here's the thing. I can prove that to you from the enemy sources. They understand that at the center of all politics is human sexuality. Okay. Now, Herbert Marcuse's book, Eros and Civilization, he's the one who said that the struggle for Eros is the political fight. And wow. if you look back through the cultural Marxists coming through people like Willem Reich and, and all of these others onto Marcuse, building up to people like Gay Rubin and others, this struggle for human sexuality um, is very much at the center of the political discourse. Now, of course, as an enemy, they want Christians to think that this has nothing to do with each other. But you're right. The moral issues and the sexual issues are central to politics because the first institution, which is family, is an institution that is tied to this concept of sexuality, one man and one woman. <clears throat> and so it is at the center of everything. And so to you, you can make the argument 
powerfully, both biblically, and you can show how even the enemy understands this. And so when you can bring those two two things together, it's a powerful way to encourage Christians and motivate them to say, come on now, we need to get our heads out the sand. We need to get our act together. We need to equip ourselves and we need to start engaging. Yeah, Christian, that's a that's a key thing there. Christians need to equip themselves. I have too many Christians that are very intelligent people, uh, well-cultured, and they tell me I don't like to read. I, I can't. I can't, I can't understand that. Quit sitting in front of a television, you know, or get off the golf course and go get yourself equipped on these issues that are affecting your family, affecting the church, affecting your nation, in fact, you know. And, you know, you have, um, there are great resources. You've named a bunch of them. There's uh, Lindsay and Pluckrose, you know, I think they're from, uh, England, I'm not sure. And you have an ally just north or northwest of you. I'm sure you know in uh, Zambia, um, Vodi Bakum. Vodi. His, his yes, book, yes, Fault yes. Lines, he's got some great stuff. Uh, his book, Fault yes, Lines, yes. is a great place to start for a beginner, uh, you know, to, to, to wade out into this thing. But, uh, and there are a lot of theologians here in the States that have written on this issue. But anyway, we've been uh, discussing today with Simon Brace from South Africa. He says the biggest problem uh, plaguing the church in South Africa, and in fact, plaguing the culture, is the social justice movement. Simon, I appreciate your time today. One more thing. Um, I just want you to give our folks, uh, well, any closing thoughts? Are there other secondary issues that maybe are a close second behind social justice that the church is plagued with? And uh, what is your hope for the church in South Africa? And any closing thoughts? words of encouragement. We want to end on well, an encouraging I, I, note. <laughs> yes, yeah, we are obligated to do that. Well, maybe two things I can say here. I think that the and God help us and we need you. My prayers in some sense have become uh, in some sense more desperate than they were in the past and that's not um, that's not a, that's not that might be because I've I'm, maybe I'm growing up a bit more and realizing that I haven't really depended upon God as much as I should have. That we really do need the power of God to crash in to our broken world here and, and to call upon him as we go about doing our work. I mean, in closing, um, think of Acts chapter 18 now. You, I know once I teach you this, you're going to go and want to unpack it. Mal, I'd love to hear you teach on this. But Acts chapter 18, Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus, 
He, he bumps into people there. He goes into the synagogue as his custom was. He reasons with the Jews from the scriptures. That was his strategy. He did it every time he went into a town. And then he bumped into 12 guys who, like Apollo, only knew of the baptism of John. Mm-hmm. Then they get them correct and said, you know, that's all past. Jesus has come. The resurrection has happened. They bring up speed. And then what does it say? And then for three years, we know for three years, he discipled those men on a daily basis. And okay. that entire city Man. was turned upside down yeah. because the power of the Holy Spirit blessed that simple mundane work. And there's the recipe for, I think, the success of Christians anywhere. It's getting on quietly with the discipleship work of Jesus <clears throat> sharing the scriptures, teaching that. And if you're faithful to that, maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit will bless you and turn your country, your nation, your town upside down. And that's what we pray for here. That's what we're asking God to do over here. And I think that that's what most Christians everywhere are wanting. We want we want our work, all of our work, to have the blessing and favor of God. That's right. Let's pray for that. Thank you. Good stuff. We've been joined today by Simon Brace from uh, South Africa. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, I'm going to pray right now on this episode. Can we do that? Yes, thank you very much. Lord God, I thank you for your goodnesses and graces in our lives, uh, notwithstanding what we struggle through, notwithstanding um, just hardships in life. Oftentimes, for many Christians around the world watching uh, these uh, podcast episodes, we Pray for your grace, favor, blessing, Lord, that you'll come into our hearts and minds and and just turn us around as we need it. Bring repentance in the land. Bring revival. Bring repentance especially, Lord. I pray for the United States where I live. I pray for South Africa where Brother Simon and his uh, dear family live and uh, other nations of uh, students I have, friends I have around the world. We we pray for a revival in our nation and that we will, and in our land, Lord, um, I think of the prophets that Simon has mentioned, the, the, the biblical prophets, your prophets, Lord. They told us to to uh, turn from our wicked ways and that you would then heal our land. And so, Lord, the uh, work starts at the door of the church. We have work to do in our own hearts and families and help us, encourage us, especially as leaders, to spend this time discipling, as Simon just mentioned, uh, the model Paul left in Acts 18 to disciple men, and uh, and especially actually men, the leaders of their families, Lord, and encourage us with that. And uh, we do pray for our countries uh, that uh, your spirit will come in, turn things around. There'll be a fresh uh, uh, fire movement of the spirit in hearts that people will repent, uh, repent and turn back to you. We thank you for your love and goodnesses, and I pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brother thank Simon so much, Brace. Mel. Simon, thank you for your time today, joining us from, from South Africa on this uh, episode. And for all of you listening out there, uh, be blessed. You've been watching The Bible Professor. <laughs>